0: Hi guys and welcome back to the FKFM podcast. Today is a another Q&A episode and this is episode 4 of the the Q&As. So, thank you for the people that asked the questions. I um I popped the uh, the questions in the the Instagram box thing this morning. Um so yeah, I've got five picked five questions. And I'll run through those and like I say, I'll aim to keep up with these once a week. They'll generally be between sort of 15 and and 20 minutes, um, so they're not too long um, episodes. So the first question was, do you think your uni degree helps in your everyday life? Um, I've not got up who asked the question. Let me have a quick look. So the question was asked by someone called Jed. So thank you, Jed. Um, So... (sighs) In some aspects, I would say yes. My uni degree did um, or is helping in some ways, but probably nowhere near as much as you'd expect. I feel like thinking back to, let's say, you know, five, six years ago when I was, you know, about to go to uni or thinking of going to uni, I almost expected it to be this this massive sort of change in my life where I was going to learn so much and it was basically just going to turn me into an adult. Um, and yeah, it doesn't do that. It really doesn't do that. It might do for some people. Um, Some people who potentially, you know, have never really stood on their own two feet or never really done anything themselves before going to uni, I do think it will help a lot. So, like for me, it wasn't really any change. I just lived on my own. Um, I still made my own food, pretty much like I did at home before anyway. I still worked like I did at home before. Um, I didn't really go out much, like, it's just not really what I'm about, not really that bothered about doing that. Um... I got into the gym even more, so like not not, not that much changed for me. Um, in terms of what I learned from the course, so I did sports science with management and obviously now I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a coach. So you'd expect that some of those things that I learned in my course would sort of cross-transfer to what I'm doing now um, or to pt in. And did they really? No, not really at all, to be honest. Um, it's probably a couple of things. So like learning how to research properly, using things like Google Scholar and learning how to sort of actually critically analyze research, I guess is helpful. So I can I could read, um, let's say I could read some some literature and, and now I wouldn't just read like and see the first line of the abstract and be like, oh my God, creatine causes hair loss. Like I, I now have a little bit more of a critical eye and I guess I could put that down to uni because they sort of teach you a little bit about that. Um, but yeah, other than that, not a lot I don't think it's helped me in terms of sort of my let's say my time management or my my hard work anything like that um so yeah I think dependent on the individual if you're someone who's let's say you know not really stood on your own two feet living at home or you've been like let's say almost like overly smothered as a as a child by your parents and you need to go off and do your own thing then I think it'd be great but for someone who was sort of living that normally anyway doing what they would do anyway uh, just at home um, I don't think it's that much of a difference obviously if you are wanting to be a doctor or a lawyer or anything in any profession where it is 100% required that you have a degree then obviously yep you're going to need to get one but if you're wanting to do something let's say in relation to to fitness there's a lot of free content out there there's a lot of um courses out there that aren't university degrees that will generally get you where you need to get anyway um okay so yeah i hope that covered that so question two um how to decide what split to be on so this came in from someone called ethan so thank you mate um so Your split is going to be dependent on your availability and also your level of experience. So, let's say you can only train twice per week. You're obviously not going to do a push pull leg split. You'd like, you're going to be in a much better position to do a full body split, just do two full body days. Let's say you can only train three times per week. Probably going to be best to do either three full body days or maybe an upper, a lower and a full. If you can train maybe four times per week, you could do an upper lower split. If you can train five times, it might be more like a pull, push legs. Um, Generally, I wouldn't want people to train any more than six times per week. But that's going to be obviously very dependent on the individual. So obviously saying that, that was kind of tailoring it more towards, let's say, beginners or beginner to sort of intermediate level trainers. If you're quite an advanced trainer and let's say you can only train four times per week you might have a sort of quote unquote quote bro or pro split whatever you want to call it um you might have that in because you know that let's say you've competed three four times before you know where your strengths are you know where your weaknesses are you've been absolutely peeled before and you can see exactly where you need to bring up you then might have a a really sort of individualized tailored split to you and your weak body parts might be something like pushing arms rest pull rest legs um and then something like another another push and arms day or something like that depending on 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 the individual or you might have two leg days across the week because your legs are a weak body part so it, it's, it's quite hard to it, there's no sort of this will dictate your split there's no one thing but your availability in terms of how many times you can train per week and your experience are going to be quite important. What I would suggest is start off with something like full body split or an upper lower. And when you get to the point where you feel like you're struggling to progress on that split, so your numbers are stalling on that split or your recovery is not in a good spot from that split, then you can look to progress it so potentially go from a full body split to an upper lower split from an upper lower to a pull push legs from pull push legs maybe to a more individualized split tailored to you and your weaker body parts as you learn more about yourself but just remember that it's really not that important so the split that you're on isn't going to dictate whether you build muscle or not or whether you look good or not it's not going to be you know oh, well, that guy looks better because he's on a, a pro split and that guy looks worse because he's doing pull-push legs or vice versa. Generally, the people that train hardest, the people that are most consistent, the people that are generally the, the hardest working are going to be the biggest and the strongest and obviously the, if, if they have the genetic capabilities to do so. Um, so don't overthink it and just pick a split that, that you generally enjoy and that you can adhere to and that is, is helping you progress your numbers. Okay, so question three, um, they asked how to approach a lifestyle client who gets bored of the meal plan. So this was from someone called Pancho, cheers Pancho. Um, So I don't actually give my clients meal plans, so I'm not a qualified nutritionist. Sorry, so I'm not a qualified nutritionist um and in order to give out meal plans really you ought to be um don't get me wrong i help people with their with their meal plan so like i i give people macronutrient targets to hit and then if they're struggling or if they want to just show me what their their day-to-day food options are and like they'll send me a food diary on my fitness pal and i'll give them little sort of tips and pointers as to where they can improve and how they can get closer to their macro targets but I'm not a massive fan of just giving a, a, a program, a meal plan and saying, eat this, eat this, eat this. Especially if you've not got a lot of knowledge about that person. You know, if I was to get a, a client and just give them a meal plan, I might not know what foods they like. I might not know their intolerances if they've not told me that yet. You know, It's it's generally not going to be, it doesn't have to be a meal plan. But let's say that I do have a lifestyle client who is on a meal plan or let's just say bored of let's say, eating the same foods to hit their macro targets without even calling it a meal plan, what would you do with that? So I would say, like I say, don't have a meal plan. Eat foods that you enjoy, understand nutrition more, learn more about energy balance, learn more about what is... um, what macros are in different foods and in what quantities so that you can have loads of alternatives. So you might have, let's say, once, you, once you're knowledgeable enough on the topic, like one day, if you don't fancy having, uh, let's say chicken, rice, and broccoli for that meal, you can change it to, um, let's say beef, lean beef, mince, uh, potato, and any type of veg that you want, you know, and you'll still be able to hit pretty much the exact same macros. And if you don't fancy having, let's say cereal one time as your post-workout you could easily change it to any carb source that's generally going to be low fat and any protein source that's going to be easily digestible so i will work to like educate the client as much as possible to to tell them that it's not that you know there's no foods that you have to eat or that you can't eat it's not like there's good and bad foods there's just foods that are going to help you hit your nutritional targets easier and there's all there's foods that are more and less nutritious than others foods that you may have to eat in less and less moderation than others that doesn't mean they're good and bad Um, and i don't think i think if you have that kind of approach you will get bored because you'll be eating things like plain chicken breast plain rice and broccoli and expecting to adhere to a program and there's no chance so you know don't don't look at it like a meal plan try and learn about the the sort of overall subject of nutrition and energy balance and what's contained in different foods um, and then make sure that you're not sort of having that that relationship with food where it's things that, thinking of, of, of certain foods as good and bad and things that you can and can't have. Have more of a, an open mind and understand energy balance and how to fit different foods in when you fancy them. Um, and as well as that, just obviously try and spice your foods up make them enjoyable don't just eat boring food because you think it's classed as, as clean um yeah just have a wider understanding of nutrition it will help you hit your overall targets much easier and adhere to it over time and actually enjoy it um so yeah it's a it's a it's not going to happen overnight you know it's it's, it's quite a a learning process when it comes to nutrition, um, and once you get you get used to it and you understand it more, it makes everything so much easier because you won't be worrying. Oh, I, ca- I can't eat that because it won't fit in my macros. You can think, Oh, actually, I could eat that. I could have it in moderation, and then I'll just take a little bit out of that meal, and then I'll just add it to there, and I'll just do this and that. And it, it's dead easy once you get used to it. Um, so yeah, that is generally how I'd approach it, and it might not be the easiest, quickest route, but it's going to educate the client the most, and it's what they're going to benefit from the most in the long term, which is what's important. Um, okay so the next question was how to bring up weaker body parts so this was from tony Um, so obviously it's going to depend on what body part you have that is weak Um, also i would first say make sure that you're determining whether your body parts are, are weak um, correctly. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, this body part is weak just because they're smaller than their mates. Um, and it's like, yeah, but on your physique, that is not a weak body part. And, you know, you'll get people training arms every every day and adding an arm day on top of it. And it's like, you've already got, your arms are the, your best, best body part. You need to grow everywhere. So I would look at that first. So make sure that you're not sort of being overly analytical um, and focus on growing everywhere. But if you really do have a weaker body part, then I would just look at bringing up the frequency of that body part. So generally, most body parts, like most, most any, any body part really, you should be able to bring up the frequency and it shouldn't create too much fatigue. So what I would suggest is, like, let's say your lagging body part is hamstrings. I wouldn't add in another deadlift variation to get in some more hamstring volume. I would add in an isolation. Likewise, if if your weakness is your back, I wouldn't add in, if you've already got like a hinge variation in, let's say you've already got a deadlift, let's say you've got an RDL in, I wouldn't go, right, let's add a conventional deadlift in on another day. I would think about adding in more isolated back work, so like a single arm pull down or a chest supported row, something that's going to create a lot less central fatigue, but is going to provide more stimulus. And then you could easily add that into a different day so like hamstrings for example there's no reason that you couldn't have them in on a pull day and a leg day and let's say you might hit them three to four times per week so long as they're recovering for that next session then you're generally going to be good so on a pull day you might have you might start with a ham curl and you might have a hinge in there as well then you might have a rest day or a push day between then and hitting and hitting legs and then on legs you might have a couple of different hamstring curl or knee, knee curl variations and then you might have another leg day. Um, so like, let's say you're doing a pull, push, legs, rest, upper, lower. On your second leg day, you could have, again, another couple of different hamstring isolations. And then you're hitting, across the course of a full week, you're hitting your hamstrings across six exercises. Let's say you've got two sets across each. That's 12 sets across the course of a week on your hamstrings, as opposed to some people might only do only do them on legs and just do three sets of a seated hamstring hamstring curl so you're doubling your your volume there already and you're likely not going to create that much more fatigue than what you were doing previously because it's not like you're adding in loads and loads of sets to a session or adding in like more centrally fatiguing work you're just adding in uh, a couple more uh, isolation sets so that is what I would look at doing bringing up your frequency and um, which in turn will bring up your volume but just make sure as well that you're being really accurate. A lot of the time, when people have lagging body parts, is because they're not very accurate in terms of training that body part. So people will have bad backs, but they've got great biceps. That's because every pulling movement, whether it be a pull down or a, a, a normal, a horizontal or a vertical pull. They're always just pulling with the biceps they've not got any control over their scapula they don't understand how to contract their back so they've got great arms great biceps but their back is underdeveloped because of their accuracy and their, their form um, so be really really accurate with your training and make sure that you before you try and get strong on a, on a given movement or on a given body part learn how to execute those exercises for that body part try and understand anatomy and understand how the body works in order to lengthen and shorten muscles and the tension when you learn that and when you can start to feel that then you can start getting strong and that's when you'll start to see the progress on those those lagging body parts okay so final question how often to take deloads so this was from someone called simone okay so in terms of deloads i think generally i quite like to just auto regulate them so i don't think there's anything negative to structuring them but often, let's say you're on a real good run of training and then you're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm structured a deload now. You take the deload and then you come back to training and you're like, oh, you know, got to get back into the swing of things. I was on a real good run. So I do think it's worth auto-regulating them. And how I would auto-regulate them is basically from your data, so whether that be, well, it should be from your just generally how you feel, from your training, from your logbooking, but also from things like your sleep, your stress, your resting heart rate. You can dictate generally when a... Deload is required. So if you're tracking all that data and let's say your numbers are stalling on, you know, the last few sessions, you're feeling a little bit stressed, your appetite's a little bit all over the place, you're struggling to eat as much, you're, um, like I say, you're a little bit more stressed than usual and you don't really know why, Your resting heart rates up like by 5 to 10 beats per, per minute compared to usual. All those are signs that you're accumulating a lot of fatigue that you generally want to drop off to in order to, to keep progressing so if you're logging all of those variables and obviously being aware of how you're feeling, you can generally auto-regulate your deloads to kind of catch them a little bit early um, and, and not sort of go into a position where you almost like overreach and end up injuring yourself or trying to keep progressing lifts for weeks on end when they're not and just running yourself into the ground. So that is what I would recommend. It's hard to say exactly how long that will be. You, know, you could need one after four weeks. You could need one after... 12 16 weeks i have some clients who are quite young and, and new to training they don't need to deload you know they, they could probably run training for six months without needing a deload realistically because they're working up to using any any real decent load that's going to accumulate a lot of fatigue they just need to enjoy their training and get it get it done you know learn the movements and enjoy it that's the main thing when you're first starting out so if you're a beginner I wouldn't you know really think too much into things like deloads and and even like splits like the earlier question. So um, I would definitely look at auto regulating it and I would also think about D de- volume weeks versus a D load week. So something that I like doing with clients is a, a D de- volume week um, instead of a D load. So what that'll be is is that they, they still are going into the gym, so they're still training, but they're bringing their volume right down. So they're still training at the same intensity, they're still using the same loads, but the volume is is right down. So they might do rather than two sets on a compound, they'll go down to one set. Rather than maybe three sets on some isolations, they'll bring that down to two. Two sets on some isolations, they might bring down to one no intensity methods so no rest pauses no drop sets anything like that um and generally that's no no sort of four reps or anything like that as well no 50 50 reps generally that will that will bring off a lot of fatigue but you'll still be able to maintain your numbers and you'll still be able to keep into the in the rhythm of training i think often when people deload they they basically it can take like three weeks to be back to where they were previously. So they'll deload because they're feeling a little bit fatigued prior to that. So that week's a bit of a, a not a great week in terms of progression. They'll deload, which you think, okay, great, we're going to get back on track. Then it'll take a week and they'll be like, oh, I didn't feel as good. It was tough getting back into it after the deload. Then the week after that, they about match numbers from before. And then like say already, by then you're three weeks on and that's when you're starting to progress again. Whereas sometimes if, if you de-volume, you can still beat those numbers, just drop off a lot of fatigue by some volume, feel a little bit fresher, and then go into it next week back into your normal volume and, and attack it and, and keep progressing. Um, that's not going to work for everyone. If I think I think if you're really, really battered, then a, a full d load with some like, three to five days off can be really beneficial. But I do like the de-volume approach. But yeah, I'll leave it there. We're approaching 20 minutes, and like I say, that's kind of how long I, I want these to be. So thank you for the people that asked the questions. Um, like I say, I will do these weekly, so look out for them on Instagram if you want to ask a question, or feel free to, to drop me a message, and I can always use that. Um, but yeah, thank you all for listening, and I will catch you in the next episode. Cheers, guys.